good morning, Abundant Life Church. My name is Aaron Walton. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And okay, just calm down. We're going to calm down. We're not going to be able to get through this. Um, I'm so incredibly honored and blessed to have the opportunity to speak with you today, as always. Over these last several weeks, we've been walking through a message series called The Good Life. And it's been an opportunity for us as a church to explore and walk through the Beatitudes, which is a collection of blessings spoken by Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 that hopefully can help us answer the question, what is the good life? And I'm very excited uh, today to be teaching on verse 5, and I thought it would be cool if we could read it together. You guys okay with that? So I'm going to put it on the screen, and we as one church family is going to read Matthew chapter 5, verse 5 together just for fun. So let's get it on the screen, and let's read this together. Follow with me. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. You guys are amazing. Good job. That was incredible. Now, when I heard that we were preaching on the Beatitudes, I got super excited because I've actually never had the the opportunity to preach on the Beatitudes. So I was very excited for this opportunity. And as I was reading through all the Beatitudes, it just kind of struck me that this is a critical message for us to hear. All of these Beatitudes, if we really truly believe what they're saying, and if we really truly believe in the word of Jesus, it is so important for the church to hear and for us to claim for ourselves. So let's dive in, and I'm going to start by asking kind of a weird question. If you had all power and authority, if you had all power and authority, and if you could change something about our society and culture, what would that be? Now, some of you are like, oh, let me tell you. Let me tell you what I would change. But just think about it for a second. You had all power and authority. What would you change about our world or society and culture. I'm going to give you just a couple that came to my mind as I thought about this question. And again, they're probably juvenile and maybe a little bit shallow, but just bear with me. But these are the first things that came to my mind when I thought of what I would change if I had all power and authority. Number one, I would make it mandatory, okay? I would somehow and in some way strictly enforce this that everyone had to drive the speed limit, okay? Like you have, it's not like a choice, right? It's not a suggestion, all right? I mean, there are some of you out there that are driving just way too fast, okay? And it's terrifying. The most, most egregious offender of breaking the speed limit is my wonderful wife, Katie, okay? <laughs> if you are ever on I-205, right, and you're driving and you see a flash go by and you're like, what was that? That's probably my wife driving home, okay? <laughs> and if you ever see a car on the far right-hand lane going 55 miles an hour, Cars passing them left and right. That's probably me, okay? (laughs) Now, the second thing I would change about our society and culture, if I had all power and authority, is I would have every paper straw banned from coffee shops. Anyone? Let's go. Let's go. Revolution. I mean, there's something disgusting about a paper straw that I just, I understand the environment is important, and I understand turtles are really cool, okay? But I just, have you ever tried to drink an ice white chocolate mocha through a paper straw? All the joy and all the happiness as it goes through that straw and it hits your lips, it's gone. And it's just absolutely disgusting. So I would ban it. I would make it a criminal offense for people providing paper straws. And the third one, probably the most controversial one, so bear with me. But if I had all power and authority, you know what I would do? 
I would make Chick-fil-A open on Sundays, okay? <laughs> I know, I know. Michelle, Jordan, if you can hear me, nothing offensive. I'm just saying, I love Chick-fil-A so much, but the only day I think about going to Chick-fil-A is on a Sunday, right? And every time I'm like, oh, man, they're not even open. So I would have them open on Sundays and closed on Tuesdays, okay? I would just swap the days. And if we did this together, church, we might be able to start a revolution, okay? Now, here's the reality. What I've just listed is obviously there are far more important issues going on in our world, in our life today, than what I've just said. There's far more important things, and the reality is there's probably more than just one or two, that if we were to ask you, what is your list of things that you would change about our world, our culture, our society? And here's the challenge that I, I'm, I'm realizing more and more, and we all know this, right? If I were to come over to this side of the church and ask one of you to stand up and list your things that you would change about our world and culture, and then I came over to this side of the church and asked for you to list things, they might be drastically different. And in that difference, there might actually be some frustrated, angry feelings if you don't agree with what I'm saying of what we should change about this world. Because this is what the enemy does. Anytime there's a difference of opinion, there's division. And anytime there's division left unkept, the enemy will come in and create conflict. And when there is conflict and the Holy Spirit is not everly present, there usually is always disaster. And so what do we do? How do we navigate through this? As a church, as followers of Jesus Christ, how do we try to figure out how do we make an impact in this world when there's so much against us and the enemy is so good at what he does? And so let me phrase in it a different way. Let me phrase this question in a better way. This is the question I think we need to ask ourselves every single day. And here's the question. How do we, as followers of Jesus, Make a kingdom impact on this world that glorifies God rather than glorifies ourselves. Like, I think this is where we need to start. This is how we need to frame the conversation. Because again, it starts with us, with the recognition that we are trying to follow Jesus. Now, I understand that not everybody in this room might have a relationship with Jesus, and that's, that's okay. We are so grateful that you are here, that you feel comfortable enough to be a part of this church and community. But the reason why we've gathered, as you, as you know, is because we recognize the God of the universe that showed himself to us in the most beautiful way, Jesus Christ, and because of his sacrifice, because of the life that he lived and his resurrection, we now are, get to be invited into a, a life, a relationship with him. And the goal of church, the goal of everything is so that we look and act and reflect Jesus in this world. So that's where all of this conversation has to begin. We want to follow the way of Jesus. And obviously we want to make an impact, right? We don't want to just let this culture and our world and our towns and our cities just go crazy. We want to make an impact, but the key is making a kingdom impact, not a human impact, not a worldly impact, not a, an impact for the United States. We want to make a kingdom of God impact. Because we believe that the only transformation that can really take place that can glorify God rather than ourselves is through the kingdom of God. Can someone give me an amen on that? And so that's where we need to start. That's the question. How do we, as followers of Jesus, make a kingdom impact that will glorify God? If you look all throughout history, 
Every single kingdom, every single government, every single like organization, how are they built? Through conquest, power, and control. The kingdom of God is built through the way of Jesus, through following the life that Jesus lived and then asking how can we live in that same way? How can we allow the Holy Spirit to come and empower us, to lead us, to give us the ability to show these characteristics, these attributes, to show people Jesus. And that's only gonna happen when we completely surrender to him. That's why these Beatitudes, I think, are such a critical lesson for the church to claim for ourselves, to really wrestle through, to understand. Because I think this is what the world needs. It needs a church that through the work of the Holy Spirit, through our submission and our trust in the God of the universe, that we can begin to reflect the attributes and the characteristics of Jesus even when things are really, really scary, even when things are hard, even when this world seems upside down. So let's dive in to Matthew 5, verse 5, and try to figure out what the heck Jesus was talking about when he says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, when we talk about meekness, I wasn't super excited about getting this one, right? Because not so many people are excited. I can't wait to talk about meekness. Yay, this is gonna be awesome. Woo! It's hard message to sell, right? But let's just try to define it first because I think a lot of the misunderstandings just really come down to what the heck does meekness mean because that's not a word we use in this culture. Now, depending on the Bible that you're using right now, the translation, it might have a different word there instead of blessed are the meek. It might be blessed are the humble, blessed are the gentle. And both of those are different sides of the same coin. So no matter what word, it's all pointing at the same idea. Someone who is meek has a humble and gentle attitude and spirit. They're they have the ability to put somebody else ahead of themselves. They have the ability not to live in pride, as Pastor Gareth talked about a couple weeks ago, that they have the ability to trust that God's plan is better than their plan. And then gentleness is this expression of meekness and humility, that I'm going to treat you with respect. I'm gonna treat you with kindness. I'm gonna be someone that doesn't allow my emotions, my feelings sometimes, to kind of leave a, an aftermath or a, a hurt or a, an anger, a yell, a scream. Like, I'm gonna try to control myself, my feelings and my thoughts, as I try to have a relationship with you. And so here's the best definition that I've come to find for meekness. And this is what I think it really is. Meekness is an anointed virtue that reflects strength, courage, and control. This is really what meekness is. It is not, hear me when I say this, it is not cowardness, it is not timidity, it is not lack of confidence, and it is not weakness. Most people think meekness must be weakness because it rhymes, right? Like that's why people, it must, but that's not the reality. Someone who is meek, someone who allows their life to reflect this posture, this attitude, truly is reflecting strength because it's strength under control. And it's courage because I think a part of courage is sacrifice, to be able to let go of what they think is right or what they want in order to then serve another or to trust that there is a better, bigger plan out there for them. And it's a posture that also responds, and this is really important to understand, Meekness is a posture that we can have that is a response to when other people offend us, when people are angry against us, when people try to hurt us, and when things don't go our way. 
Let me say it this way. Has anyone in this room, raise your hand, ever met a rude person? <laughs> okay. Anyone in this room sitting next to a rude person? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. No, just <laughs> has, he, has anyone in this room ever seen someone throw a public meltdown? Like child, teenager, adult, maybe a senior adult? Have you ever been witness to someone throwing a meltdown? Have you ever seen someone throw a temper tantrum before? Whew. A couple years ago, my family and I went to the Clackamas County Fair, and my oldest daughter, Carly, was finally tall enough to go on one of the rides, and so Carly and my wife, Katie, went on that ride, and I got the amazing honor of staying with my youngest daughter, Emma, who was clearly not tall enough to go on that ride, so we had to sit on a bench and watch them go on this ride, and Emma disagreed with that decision. <laughs> she was not okay with that, that decision that we made for her, and so she clearly communicated her frustration to me and to that entire fair. Watch this. Emma, Ma. I love you. Ma. Do you love Dada? Ma. How, much, how much do you love Dada? Ma. No. No. Do you love Daddy so much? <laughs> I love Emma so much. You are so beautiful. Can Daddy... Can Daddy help... Can Daddy help you in any way? That went on for four hours. No, just kidding. <laughs> Here's something I've come to realize, and it's a, it's a sad reality. Temper tantrums are not exclusive to children. Like, if you want to have a really good time and a really depressing time at the same moment, here's what I want you to do. Later on today, go on to YouTube and look up public meltdowns. And you'll see video after video after video of adults throwing temper tantrums. Like, it's... So crazy to see people in fast food restaurants, coffee shops, grocery stores, at gas stations, like just lose their mind because they were offended, because things didn't go according to their plan, because they didn't get what they want and people lose their minds. And when you watch those, you probably think to yourself, oh my gosh, I can't believe people would do that. I can't believe that's happening. But here's the reality. Anytime we have these conversations, we can always look at somebody else and go, wow, we have to look at ourselves and say, do we do the same thing? Have we been there? Let me ask if any of these words describe you. Or would, let me ask, would anybody in your life, friend, family, or stranger, use these words to describe you? Rough, hostile, vengeful, angry, aggressive, mean, spiteful, harsh. Here's another question I think is really important for us to consider and to wrestle through. 
Do you believe that the church needs to reflect the virtue of meekness today? Now, this is where I might lose some of you. Because as we look at the world and as we have our frustrations and as we look at the things that we don't like, things that aren't going according to our plan, we might say meekness is the last thing on that list. There are far more other things that we need to be doing, that we need to be about. Our attitude has to be this, it has to be that. Meekness doesn't even make any sense. So allow me to just try to give you a couple what I consider to be truths for you to consider as we answer this question, is this important for us as a church to take as truth. The words of Jesus for us today. He spoke these 2,000 years ago to a group of disciples and a whole bunch of people that have gathered around on a hillside. Are they just as important for us today? And here's a couple truths. First one, I believe meekness is an attribute that delineates the identity of a disciple. I've read through the scriptures and I've read through the story of Jesus countless times and I can't walk away without an understanding that meekness, humility, gentleness is who a disciple of Jesus Christ is. It's a part of our DNA and that's hard to understand. That's hard to even accept. But the reality is, again, if you read throughout scripture, you'll see it show up time and time again. All of the authors point the audience, point the follower, point the disciple like this needs to be a part of who you are. You'll see in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? It's an anointed gift that's expressed through gentleness. It's a proof that the Holy Spirit is in work inside of us because I think gentleness, caring for people with respect, not allowing our emotions to dictate is far harder than just letting our emotions take control. I mean, Jesus himself literally embodies meekness as our humble king. He literally called himself humble and meek. Matthew 11, verse 28. You know I'm going to read this one. You guys knew it, so I'm going to read it because you knew I was going to read it. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you his light. Anytime Jesus claims something about himself, we've got to pay attention. And for those of us who have made the decision to follow Jesus, this has to be important for us. We have to wrestle with it. We have to ask ourselves the question, do we reflect this? Are we striving to have a humble attitude and spirit in the midst of all of the challenges? Do we have a gentle spirit inside of us when we are insulted, when things don't go our way? Do we believe that there is power, strength, and courage in meekness? Number two, meekness is a prerequisite for kingdom leadership and covenant community. Now, let me explain what I mean by that. I, again, read throughout the scriptures, and time and time again, I see this always pop up. And it, you walk away with the understanding that if you want to be a leader in God's kingdom, if you want to be used for his glory, if you want to be a part of that kingdom impact, you have to have a gentle attitude, a humble attitude and spirit. If you don't, things are going to get real rough. Things are going to get real scary. There's going to be a destructive wake that you're going to leave because I think that's a part of what Jesus designed the kingdom to operate men and women, even when they have differing opinions, even when that chasm of division is so great, if we have humility and gentleness expressed in our posture of meekness, God can do amazing things 
even if we're at odds with each other because that can be the great change. That can be the great bridge in the midst of challenging, difficult times. And have you ever tried to live in a community with someone who's vengeful, hostile, angry, aggressive, mean, and spiteful? It doesn't go so well. When you have an attitude of meekness, you basically are saying, I have a teachable spirit to me. I'm not focused on myself. I want to learn, which is always great when you live in community. It's an evidence that you care about someone, that you're committed to someone. If I choose to be gentle in a situation, I'm not doing that because that's the easy thing. I'm doing that because that's the hard thing. But I care so much about someone that maybe I have a disagreement with, that I'm at odds with. I care far more about helping them walk through this situation than just say what I have to say and say, deal with it. And I'm walked off and I'm like, who cares what they have to do? Who cares what they say now? I'm just gonna say what I say. I'm just gonna say how I feel and they just have to deal with it. Gentleness, is, again, is strength under control. Humility is that ability to say, you're more important than just myself. And I also believe that an attitude of meekness, this posture of humility, whatever you want to call it, gives us boldness to speak truth, but truth that can be received. Have you ever tried to receive truth from someone who is angry and aggressive with you? Someone who's yelling and screaming at you? It probably doesn't go so well. But if you're in a conflict or you're trying to communicate something, if you have a spirit and a posture and attitude that is receptive, that is kind, that is understanding, someone is far more likely to receive that or at least consider that than if you're just screaming at the top of your lungs. And the third thing that I believe meekness does for us is it's evidence of our trust and submission to God. We can only achieve all of the Beatitudes, really, but especially this one, if we're willing to submit, trust, surrender, that's a key word in all this. I was having coffee with a friend of mine a couple weeks ago, and we talked about how it all comes down to just surrendering to God. Like all of the challenges, all the things that we're facing, all of these hardships, if we just had that attitude of surrender, man, would our life be a lot easier. And it's the same thing with these Beatitudes. If we surrender and trust that God, you know what you're talking about. You're not clueless. You know us better than we know ourselves, and you know exactly how we need to change and how we're going to change and impact this world. Then we need to trust in the words that your son, Jesus Christ, has said. And I love how Psalm 37 beautifully echoes the words here in Matthew chapter 5, where the author of this psalm that we're going to read in just a second implores the reader to not lose themselves, to not get lost in the commotion to trust in God despite the commotion and the chaos of the wicked. Raise your hand if you have a smartphone. Anyone just be okay with that? Okay. Now raise your hand also if you're on the social media. You guys got a, like a Facebook, an Instagram, a ticker talker, like anybody out there? Anybody else out there? Okay. I'm going to tell you a kind of, I'm going to give you a little rant. If you guys don't mind. It's like an old man rant I'm going to give you on smartphones and social media, Okay. Because I have a love-hate relationship with them. I love them. They're great. Obviously, I have a phone. I'm on the social media platform. Uh, but man, is it hard. It's difficult at times. Uh, have you noticed that your phone can hear you? It's super scary. Like you can be talking with your spouse or friend like, oh, I really need a toaster. I hate my toaster. I need to get a new toaster. And then what happens when you open up your phone? There's an advertisement for a toaster. And you're like, oh my gosh, it's hearing me. Whisper when you're around the phone so it doesn't hear you. 
We don't want the phone to know what's going on. Another thing that I've noticed about social media in particular, say you're on Instagram, something that I have done many times, unfortunately, is I get lost in it. And there's these videos that you can watch on Instagram, right? And it's just video after video after video. And what I've noticed, and again, this is not anything new, is that the social media account that you're on is trying to figure out what you like. It's trying to figure out how can I keep you on your phone and not go to your real world. And so you'll be on it and you'll watch this video and you'll like it. You'll watch it all the way through and then they'll start showing you the same video over and over and over again. So you're like, oh yeah, (laughs) oh yeah, oh yeah. And then three hours go by and you're like, oh my gosh, I should probably feed our children, right? Like we should probably... (laughs) It's probably like, it's not good. Like, this is probably bad. So here's what I've seen in myself these last several months. And, uh, and I, I'm asking for forgiveness for this because I don't think that it necessarily is healthy. I found myself watching videos that have kind of a, like a political leaning to them. And they're very aggressive in the way that they communicate. It's basically people saying, this is what's messed up in the world. And this is how we need to change it. And these people that don't understand it are a bunch of idiots. And I find myself watching them and enjoying them, and kind of going, yeah, yeah, that's right. These people know what they're talking about. These people are crazy. And then I'll watch another one, and it's the same thing. It's the same idea. And I go, yeah, that's right. And I'm getting even more. And all I find myself realizing as I'm watching this video after video is that I'm getting getting more and more angry. Like, I'm just brewing, and I'm just getting more and more frustrated. And I'm beginning to believe everything that these people are telling me, that if you don't agree with me, then you're an idiot. That this is the truth, and how could you not think this way? And all I do after I leave that is I'm just filled with this, just like, and this is why I think Psalm 37 is really important for us to hear. Again, echoing the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, allow me to speak these words because it's a reminder that I've needed over these last several months, let alone these last several years. Psalm 37, starting at verse 7, says this. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. In a little while, and the wicked will be no more. Though you'll look for them, they will not be found, but the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. Now, I love this psalm for a couple reasons. One, it acknowledges the injustice, the challenges, the wickedness of this world. It doesn't shy away from that. And hear me when I say this, church. I don't think that We need to be ignorant or hide ourselves from the realities of what's going on in our world and culture. Like we need to know what's going on. We need to be aware of it. We can't hide, shield ourselves. But this is why I think Psalm 37 and the words of Jesus and all of the Beatitudes are so important because it speaks to the heart that we need to have as we are aware of what's going on in the world, as we have these hard, difficult conversations, as we realize the chasm, the division is so great and a way to prevent the enemy from getting in there and creating conflict, creating division, getting us to yell at each other, point at each other and say, I can't believe you'd think that and I can't believe you'd think that. How how dare you call yourself a Christian and how dare you call yourself a Christian if you believe this? The way that we do that, I believe, is why Jesus speaks these words 
in Matthew 5. Why the psalm author spoke these words in Psalm 37 that we need to wait and trust and to be still, to turn from our anger. We need to recognize that it's God who will defend our cause. Amen? It is God who will right the wrongs. We need to believe that God is a God of his word. That Jesus, when he spoke a promise, he meant it. And that for us who are willing to sacrifice, to surrender, to give up our control, our power and authority, to seek to live a humble life, a meek life, a gentle life, that maybe, just maybe, we will, through God's anointing, through God's provision, through God and his power, his authority, we will inherit the earth. Anyone in this room struggle with waiting on the Lord? (laughs) Anyone in this room struggle with being still when the world is constantly at motion? Does anybody in this room struggle with not fretting, not freaking out, not getting worried, not getting frustrated when we see this world, this culture heading in the direction that we see it in? Anybody in this room struggle with brewing in our anger, just letting all the conversations, all of the rhetoric, all of the different viewpoints just make us more and more angry? Do you know that the one thing, the one thing that can unite a group of people a country, a church that is so at odds? Do you know the one thing that can look past our opinions, our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions? Do you know the one thing that this world needs desperately more than anything else? It's Jesus Christ. And I know that's cliche. I know that's what we're supposed to say in church, but we need to understand that. The world needs more of Jesus and he needs less of us angry Christians screaming and yelling and throwing more and more temper tantrums. Now again, don't misunderstand me. We've got to understand what's going on in the culture. We've got to understand truth. We need to speak truth boldly. We need to have a spirit that's not afraid of of glorifying God with our lives, but it starts, it starts with an attitude of trust, an attitude of being still, an attitude of turning away from so easily we could just live in that anger. It starts with understanding what humility really is and what being gentle and kind and respectful really is because the promises of God is that blessed are the meek, we will inherit the earth. How will we make a kingdom impact? How will we glorify God? How do we follow Jesus? It starts right here. So here's what I wanna do, if you guys are okay with it. And even if you're not okay with it, we're going to do it okay. (laughs) We're going to spend some time in worship. And we're going to, again, as one church family, cry out to God to help us through this. We're going to ask God to give us the courage, to give us the strength, to trust in him, to wait with him, to let him fight our battles, to let him defend us. We believe that if we can just do the things Jesus has asked us to do, if we can live out these beatitudes, if we can trust in the Holy Spirit to work inside of our hearts and our lives, amazing things are gonna take place, church. We are gonna see our life, our culture, our city transformed. I have not given up on the city yet. I've not given up yet. You might be there. You might be saying, God, take us home now. We're done. 
I'm not ready to give up yet because I believe the words of Jesus. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe that we have a God far bigger, far better, far more beautiful, far more loving than anything this world can show. Amen? So today we're gonna, in just a minute, we're gonna stand up and we're gonna sing. And we're gonna ask God to give us courage. We're gonna ask for that ability to hold on, to wait, to be still. One of the lines from this song is so good. It says, and you who hold the stars, who call them each by name, will surely keep your promise to me that I will rise in your victory. This is an opportunity for us to remember that the God of the universe, his Lord and, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, he is gonna keep his promise to us. So give us courage, God. Give us that strength. Let us trust. Let us seek your kingdom first. Pray. Pray with me, church. Thank you, Lord, so much for this day. I thank you so much for this incredible church family. Lord, your Holy Spirit has been with us before we even entered into this room. And so, Lord, we pray that we would feel your Holy Spirit even more right now, challenging us, wrestling with us, taking away our human nature, our human emotions, and instead, Lord, shaping us and molding us to be more and more like your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for this time. Lord, I pray that we truly would experience the good life, but that good life is found when we surrender our will to you, when we surrender our life to you, when we trust in your words and we trust in your promises and we begin to live more and more like your son, Jesus Christ. Blessed are the humble, blessed are the meek, blessed are the gentle, for we will inherit the earth. We will make a kingdom impact that will glorify you, not ourselves. We thank you, Lord, and we give you all the glory and praise. Amen.